Devil's Food, a true crime podcast where we talk about true crime, and I listen back to our true crime and think about how uh, how much of a lisp I have. <laughs> <laughs> I often think about all the words that I mispronounce. Me too. So <laughs> I still have um, panic over a- over actually uh, not saying Appalachian the wrong way. On that one episode. On that one episode. I was like, I was pretty certain <laughs> that I said Appalachian and I was going to kill myself. I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> she takes it very, very, very seriously. It's very serious business. Uh, well, on that note, we talk about true crime every week and some other spooky things. But today, it's definitely, uh, definitely true crime. We love a good true crime. I love true crime. Mm. Probably I- shouldn't say that either. We love true crime, but I think that's obvious that yeah, we love We're true here. Crime. We like discussing it. We like deep diving. We like the things. We don't like it happening. No. We don't condone activities. Oh, absolutely not. Even though it does keep me in business. She's in the death care industry, just in case you were new. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today we're just going to get into it. Let's go. All right. So, on October 12, 1954, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 59-year-old Samuel Dahl suddenly died. Oh, no. Samuel led a pretty clean life. He didn't drink. He didn't do drugs. And he was overall in very good health. Oh, so he's like one of those straight-edge kids. Yeah. Yeah. That is until about a month before his death. Oh. That September, he had been admitted to the hospital for flu-like symptoms. And was treated for a severe digestive tract infection. He spent a month in the hospital making a full recovery and was discharged. Go Samuel. Go Samuel. Almost immediately after going home, he died. Oh. So the doctor that had treated him knew that something was off just about the whole situation. And he ordered an an autopsy to be done. Like a true king. A true king. It was discovered that there was enough arsenic in his system to kill about 20 men. Oh, my gosh. And authorities realized that this wasn't a freak medical situation or illness. This was murder. Murder. (laughs) So police talked to his wife, Nanny Doss. I'm sorry, what is her name? Nanny. Nanny? Yeah. Okay. Like a grandma. That's what I was thinking. I was like, that's a weird name. People named their, their children old lady grandma names way back when. People named their kids weird stuff Which now. I guess back then they weren't grandma names. They were just names. Now they're grandma names. Yeah, like I would never <laughs> name a kid Ethel. Ethel. <laughs> Same. Yeah. <laughs> so Nanny looked like just like anybody's grandma. Mm-hmm. Nothing about her would scream suspicious in any kind of way. She was friendly, she was happy, and everyone knew her to be a good wife and a good neighbor. She giggled throughout her entire interrogation. Oh. Keep in mind, her husband just died. She giggled like a young schoolgirl is how they described it. Oh, no. And she ended up confessing to eight murders. Oh, my gosh. These murders spanned decades and in different states, 
making it almost impossible for authorities during that time period to make any connections. That's wild. She just up and she, she probably if she would have kept her composure gotten away with this one too mm-hmm. maybe she was just tired and wanted to get, go ahead and lay the hatchet down <laughs> she wanted to retire yeah so nanny doss is one of the few serial killers that i've researched that i have a hard time finding exactly how many victims she's had oh wow. she confessed to eight mm-hmm. but people think that most likely she killed about 11 or maybe 12 people oh, okay but we don't know Nanny has had several nicknames, including the Giggling Granny. I mean, checks out. The Jolly Widow, the Lonely Hearts Killer, the Black Widow, and Lady Bluebeard. But Giggly Granny is. I think the Lady one that Bluebeard's my favorite. I don't know where Lady Bluebeard came from because it just doesn't match her at all. But Giggly Granny, it fits. Or the Jolly Widow. Yeah, I like Jolly Widow too. Mm-hmm. So let's get a little backstory of Nanny. So, Nanny Doss was born Nancy Hazel on November 4th, 1904, or, sorry, 1905, in Blue Mountain, Alabama. Her parents were James and Louisa, or Lou, as she went by, and Nanny was one out of five kids. She had one brother and three sisters. Can I interrupt you for just yes, a second? Yes, you can. I did that thing that I like to do. You Googled, Googled her. She looks like she a giggly granny. She looks so happy. I would not yes. be upset if this woman was my grandmother. That's how, that's just, she, she looks so nice. She looks like the kind of grandma you would love to have that would make you cookies if you came and visited. Yes. And just would have a jolly old time. Like, she would probably say things that were inappropriate, and then she'd giggle, and then you'd laugh. And then it would just be a fun time. I think you're right. That's how I picture her. That's not how she is, though. Oh, no. (laughs) So, Nanny did not have the happiest childhood. There was speculation that her father wasn't not her father. Oh. But despite that, he treated her like all the rest of the kids. Which wasn't great. I kind of saw that coming. I was waiting for it. Yeah. So, James was said to be abusive, controlling, and demanding. He would keep the children out of school for them to help on the family farm and to do household chores. By the time she was five, she wasn't a stranger to cutting wood and doing field work. James had the household... Sorry. James had the household always working. They never stopped. Everyone would wake up before sunrise, and it was said that the neighbors the neighbors would see lights on at the house before the sun went up and after the sun went down, because he had them always doing chores. That's some, um jim jones rhetoric there (laughs) shout out to our past episode go check it out (laughs) go listen to my jim jones episode yeah so the kids schedule at school was flaky at best their attendance depended on whether or not their father needed them or wanted them to work at the farm that day and when nanny would have to go to school it was a two-mile walk and a two-mile walk back home every time she went to school it's definitely that story like your grandparents would say I had to work two miles in this blizzard. I'm just sitting here thinking, like, I live a mile away from the funeral home, and you would not catch me walking to the funeral home. (laughs) Same. (laughs) So, Nanny and her mother were close. By all accounts, it seemed like Lou was a good mom, and everything was fine with her mom. However, Lou hated her husband, which was... One way that she and Nanny bonded, because they just Mm kind of talk shit about James. 
I mean, if it works, it works. So, Nanny was molested as a young girl, unfortunately. And when she told her dad, he did not believe her. Oh. So, from a very young age, she's learning about hating men, but also not trusting men. I get that. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. So, when Nanny was around seven, the family decided to go to go on a trip to visit the uh, some other family members in southern Alabama. And they were going to ride a train to get there. So, the train suddenly stopped and Nanny jolted and hit her head. She hit her head. <laughs> Nanny jolted and hit her head on a metal bar that was on the seat in front of her. Ugh. After that happened, for years, she would suffer from severe headaches, blackouts, and depression. When Nanny was older, she said that this injury may have been the reason for her tendencies, her behavior. I mean, isn't there, like, those... What word am I looking for? Characteristics of a serial killer, where a head think, injury is one of them? Yeah, I think head injuries can be very common. But not then, I, I don't know how... Yeah, I don't know the exact. Or not. But I have heard that, like, oh, somebody fell off a swing when they were three years old, and now they're a serial killer. So one of Nanny's favorite hobbies when she was young was reading her mother's romance novels. Ooh. And she just fantasized about love and finding her prince charming. As all girls do. She would have been on book talk. She would have been on book talk. <laughs> she would spend hours in her bedroom and just admiring all the couples in the magazines. As she got older, she really took a liking to the ads in the Lonely Heart Clubs, which were just dating ads for people trying to meet other people. Oh, so that time's Craigslist. It was like... Misconnections. <laughs> Misconnections. The tender of the time. Yes. So all the kids had very sheltered lives, but as James' daughters grew older and they got to that dating age, he kept them on a very tight leash. To him, his kids were farm help, so if they wanted to run off and go have fun or go date, he was losing his farm help. Yeah. He did not like that. He wouldn't let the kids go out to social events or really do anything, and he wouldn't let the girls wear any makeup or any kind of cute clothes. Oh. Everything that was considered kind of making a girl prettier, mm -hmm. uh, whether it was doing her hair or wearing the silk stockings... Anything that would get a man's attention, it was forbidden. He did not allow it. When he realized his daughters would eventually get married, he told them that he had to approve and pick the man that they would marry. Ew. My guess is that in his mind, the man would have to benefit him. Maybe he'd mm -hmm. get more farm help. He'd probably be like three times their age and gross. Ew. So Nanny was said to be a very pretty girl, and she was just very romantic and loved the idea of being in love and finding the perfect husband. And everyone knows that super strict parents create very sneaky kids. Yes. That's exactly what Nanny did. She was known to sneak out to the hayloft or wherever she could and meet with the boys. Ooh. Ooh, Nanny. Scandalous. Nanny, nanny getting it. Mm. It was obvious that her dad never knew about these little escapades. Because he would have flipped out. But we don't know if her mom knew or not. Some wondered if maybe Lou knew about Nanny's adventures, but she might have just been okay with it. Because one, if nothing happened, then Nanny's just having some fun. Mm -hmm. Two, if by chance Nanny would get pregnant, it would be Nanny's way out of getting out of her father's abuse. Because at that time, you would have to get married and do that. 
whole thing. She'd have a way out. Mm-hmm. Yep. So some wondered if maybe Lou didn't really care because it could have been her way out. Because back then, options were limited. That's fair. Yeah. So in 1921, Nanny was 16, and she began working, and she met a boy named Charlie Bragg. Sorry, Charlie Braggs. Nanny was a young girl that was in love with love, and she had a young boy giving her attention, so she was all about it and thought that Charlie was her Prince Charming. She was living for it. Loved it. Charlie was tall and handsome. He had curly hair, and he seemed to adore Nanny. Later on, he said that she was a pretty girl. They had lots of fun. And it just was a sweet puppy love. Aww. So all Charlie needed was to get Nanny's appro- Nanny's father's approval. And James actually liked Charlie. Uh, most boys were partying and spending money and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. Charlie's top priority was his mother. Oh. Which was really important to James. He liked that. Charlie's mom was a single mother. He was the only son, so he financially supported her. Oh, wow. And treated her like a queen. So to Nanny's father, that was like green flag. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. Oh, no. So James saw that as very traditional values. He liked that, and he ended up approving of them being together. Four months after dating, Nanny and Charlie were married. That's a quick turnaround. Mm Mm-hmm. Charlie's mother insisted on living with the newlyweds. And Nanny discovered very quickly that she may have lost a controlling father, but she got something debatably worse. A monster-in-law. A controlling mother-in-law. His mother was very demanding and controlling and took a lot of attention from Charlie. And she always had to have the final say and get whatever she wanted. Oh, I hate people like that. Mm Mm-hmm. If Nanny wanted to go out and eat and her mother-in-law did not want to go, then she would just get dizzy and have cramps and they would all have to stay home. Oh. If Nanny wanted to go out to the movies or just do something fun that her mother-in-law didn't want to do, she would always just not feel well. Conveniently. Mm. She limited what Nanny could and could not do, and she wouldn't even let Nanny's mom come visit. Oh, no. Mm Mm-hmm. Because Nanny and her mom were like besties. Besties. Over the course of four years, the couple had four daughters. So back to back to back. Depending on what article you read, the the ages and the order of birth is a little bit different. But it was between 1922 and 1926. She gave birth to Melvina, Gertrude, Zelmer, Zelmer, Mm. and Florine. Oh, I like Florine. Florine. All by the time Nanny was 21. That's excessive. That's a lot. It was back to back to back to back. Charlie was quoted as saying that, quote, our marriage started off pretty well, but after a couple years, she started to go off. Off? Which, when you think about it, she had four children in four years. She had a controlling mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And it was said that both her and Charlie started heavily drinking and having affairs to deal with all the stress. Oh. And both would be gone for days. So they both just kind of popped off. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just her. Right. Got it. If by chance they were home at the same time, it was completely by chance. Charlie was quoted as saying that Nanny could be, quote, high-tempered and mean. He also said that when she got mad... I wouldn't eat anything that she fixed or drank around the house. Oh, no. 
the same year that their youngest child was born, two of their daughters died. Zelmer passed away in August and Gertrude in September. Both died from supposed food poisoning and both were ruled as accidents. Mm. Both girls were said to be completely fine at breakfast, but they were dead by lunchtime. Oh, wow. That's a quick turnaround for food poisoning. Hmm. So some articles I read said that Charlie came home to find one of the girls on the floor in just pure agony. So in no time at all, Charlie decides to leave. Obviously. Yeah. He takes their daughter Melvina with him and he leaves. He always kept the story that he was afraid of Nanny, but if he was afraid, why would they why would he leave one daughter? That's what I was just thinking, like why her? leave the one and not yeah. the other? He left their daughter Florine. Charlie said that years down the road when everything came to light of everything that happened, the only reason he believes that he survived Nanny was that he did not have a life insurance policy for her to cash out on. Oh. That's always a motivation, isn't it? Yeah, I guess he was just young, so he just didn't have anything like that. Mm -hmm. So Nanny got a job at a cotton mill to support herself and her baby. Charlie ended up meeting another woman, and he wanted to marry her. So the following year, he brought the child back back to Nanny. And he also wanted an official, official divorce in 1929, and he gave their daughter back. Gave Melvina back to Nanny. That's one way to do it, I guess. Just wanted to get married, so here you go. Take it back. Here's a baby. So you can say Charlie made some iffy decisions, but at the end of the day, he's also the only one that survived Nanny. Mm. So Charlie is known to be the husband that got away. Oh. So, almost immediately after the divorce in 1929, Nanny started putting ads in the Lonely Heart columns. She wrote to several men, but there is one in particular that caught her attention. 23-year-old factory worker Frank Harrelson, and he was from Jacksonville, Florida. It's always a Florida man. Florida. The two would communicate back and forth, and he would write romantic love letters, and she would respond with some racy and scandalous letters. Ooh. And she would even send cake. Not cake. <laughs> but, I mean, you could say what you want about Nanny, but she knows how to win a man. It sounds Racy like Racy pictures and cake. I mean, this might have been 100 years ago, or however long. That's but, how I got Scott. I mean, I feel like men have not changed. They haven't. <laughs> so they married soon after meeting, and at this point, Nanny is only 24. I keep having to remind myself of her age. Because in my mind, she's like 75 for yeah. like her entire life. <laughs> so the newlyweds went to Jacksonville along with her two daughters. And it didn't take long for Nanny to figure out that Frank was an alcoholic. And she also learned that he had a criminal record for assault. He also was known to get drunk and sleep it off at the local jail. Oh. However, they were married for 16 years. That's, so they made it work for a little a bit. That's a long time to be married to a real winner. Mm-hmm. So Frank was the girl's stepdad, and there was no account or reports that he treated the girls in any kind. Like, poorly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he was known to get drunk, and he would kind of smack her, smack Nanny around a little bit. Oh, ew. So it was a lot. But overall, I think, like, the girls went out. Like, he didn't do anything to them. Oh, okay, good. So during their marriage, Nanny's daughters grew up, uh, and Melvina got married to a man named Mosey Haynes, and they had two children. 
Mosey. Mosey. I love these names. I'm I just love old names. Day with these names today. <laughs> Um, in 1943, she gave birth to Robert Lee Haynes, and in 1945, two years later, she gave, she had a baby girl. So, Melvina had a long and difficult birth with this baby girl, and Nanny was with her every step of the way. Like a loving mother would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And took care of her daughter. The baby was born fine and completely healthy. Good. Melvina and her husband went to sleep in the hospital room they were just resting as they should and nanny was there and they she's like you know you take a rest i have the baby i thought you were gonna say they never woke up and i was like <laughs> wow she works fast she has no no she was just watching the baby and she was rocking her to sleep within an hour of her being born completely healthy she was dead i knew it there it is so melvina swore that she saw her mother stab the baby with a stick pin and she told the family this, but everyone just wrote her off thinking she was exhausted and had drugs in her system from the labor. Or maybe in denial that maybe it was just one of those things that just happened. Sometimes babies just don't make it. Yeah. Uh, no one did anything about it. The doctors couldn't even determine what the cause of death was. Oh, wow. I think everyone just considered it one of those things. Like, sometimes... It'd be like that. Babies just don't make it. Yeah. I'm sure this was before they had coined the term SIDS. I don't know. I didn't look into that. So, oh. I don't know. Uh, so Nanny and Melvina kind of drifted apart. And Melvina started dating a soldier and Nanny did not approve. So that really kind of drove a wedge in them. Mm. I'm not really sure how this came to happen. But six months after the baby's death, Melvina decided to leave her oldest child, Robert, in the care of Nanny. Okay, smart move after you think that she killed your baby, but yeah. okay. But she was also told a million times by everybody, that never happened. Gaslit her. Yeah. Hmm. So Melvina was going to go visit her father, and she needed a babysitter. Melvina and Nanny had gotten into a na uh, pretty nasty fight we don't really know the details about, but it must not have been great. Mm -hmm. um, and two-year-old Robert died under nanny's care and the cause of death was ruled as asphyxiation from unknown causes unknown causes mm -hmm. mm. two months later nanny collected a 500 hundred dollar life insurance policy that she had taken out years down the road nanny was quoted as saying that he may have just quote just have gotten a hold of some rat poison mm. her husband frank knew that something was off and at robert's funeral he said i'll be next was he next? Mm -hmm. We'll find out. Tell me about it. He was right. Nanny wasn't done. On September 5th, 1945, Frank came home drunk, as usual, and he had been celebrating the end of World War II. According to Nanny, he raped her that night. Oh, then it sounds like he might have deserved it. I don't, if, I don't if, know. If he's going to die, Yeah, he deserves it. He does die. Um, I don't know <laughs> if Nanny's telling the truth or if that's her way of justifying it. Mm. So I can't give too much of an opinion on that. That's fair. So the next day, she was tending to her garden, and she found his secret bottle of whiskey that he had buried. Who buries whiskey? I guess he was trying to hide it. I guess alcoholics. They do yeah. weird stuff. She topped off the bottle with rat poison and put it back where she found it. 
Hmm. He died that evening. His death was painful and excruciating. Frank was only 38 years old, and he was buried next to their two-year-old grandson, Robert. So Nanny told the coroner that Frank was an awful drunk, and he ended up ruling the death as natural causes, and noted the noted that acute alcoholism was the cause. Biased much? A little bit. Meanwhile, no one knew that Nanny had laced his drink with rat poison. She got the insurance money and fled the state. Gotta get that bag and roll. Uh, that's Nan- that is Nanny's M.O. <laughs> Sounds like it. Two years later, she ended up in Lexington, North Carolina. No one really knows what she did during that two-year time period. It's very well possible that she was doing what she did best, but no one really knows. Hmm. There's some articles that said that there was a possibility she could have been married to a man named Hendrix, but no one knows for certain, and police did not follow up on it. Mm. So it's hard to tell if Hendrix was a real person, really happened, did he die? Did he get murdered? We don't know. Dun, dun, dun. So Nanny ended up in Lexington, North Carolina, and it didn't take long for her to start putting out the ads in the Lonely Heart columns. Because she is a hopeless romantic. Is she, though? Or is she, she just kind of a psychopath? She thinks she's a hopeless romantic. Oh, okay. <laughs> In 1947, she ended up meeting Arlie Lanning, and he was a laborer from Alabama. Arlie. Arlie. They only knew each other for three days, and they got married. That is uh, an even quicker turnaround than the first one. I tell you, she must have had, like, some beer-flavored nipples or something, because... She had something going on for her. These men. Unfortunately for Nanny, Arlie was not a catch. He was also an alcoholic and a womanizer, and he often visited the local sex workers. She had a very strange marriage because he was drinking and sleeping around, but Nanny was also disappearing for sometimes months at a time. And she would send him uh, wires from all different locations. Mm-hmm. But whenever she was home, Nanny was like the the public image of a respectable married woman. Okay. And would actively attend the Methodist church. People liked her. They felt bad for her because from the outside looking in, she was this great woman. And her husband was a piece of shit. So Arlie was not abusive like her former husband. He kind of just acted like he didn't care whether she came or went. Yeah. Uh, so during their marriage, she visited visited her sister named Dovey, who had cancer, and she would take care of her. She would also visit Arlie's 84-year-old mother and would help her around the house. Arlie had a nephew visit and stayed with them for a little while, and he just kind of randomly died from food poisoning. Again? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Arlie ended up suddenly dying in 1952. Before his death, for several days, he was vomiting, he was dizzy, he had stomach problems, and he was in excruciating pain. Mm. She told the neighbors that he was fine until she gave him prunes and coffee for breakfast. So I guess she was just writing it off as... He needed the poop? He just needed to poop real bad. You know how it be. You know how it be. When you gotta poop, you're just vomiting and dizzy and... Dying of dying for of days. Mm. I mean, it definitely sounded like it would clear the pipes, but I don't think it would kill you. Coffee and prunes. 
coffee and prunes. That's going to clear you out. That's going to clear you out. <laughs> so it was thought that he died of heart failure. And the doctor didn't feel the need to order an autopsy because he believed that the stomach pains were most likely a result of, like, a terrible flu that had been going through North Carolina. And all the bad cases had very similar symptoms. He also said that Arlie's body just wasn't in good shape because after years of drinking and wear, wear and tear, he believed that maybe his stomach had been eaten away. I mean... So Maybe. without without any autopsy, that was just all the thoughts that he had. Just speculation. He's like, look at him. He he is rough. He's been drinking. I think he might have had the flu. That sounds and heart failure. That sounds right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So after his death, Nanny found out that Arlie left the house to his sister. Nanny packed up her things and her TV. Every article I read said that she specifically packed her TV. <laughs> TVs were big back then. And she drove off. <laughs> so as she left, the house burned down completely. Oh. Mm-hmm. Spiteful queen. So she burned down the house. So Nanny just happened to be staying with Arlie's mother when the insurance check came in the mail. Before his sister could receive the check, because it was supposed to go to her, uh-huh. Nanny took it, cashed it, illegally. When she got the money, she left town. That seems to be her, her prerogative there. During that time, Arlie's mother mysteriously died in her sleep. This woman's just leaving, like, a... A trail. A trail in her wake. Mm-hmm. Mm. Days after showing, days after leaving, she showed up at her sister Dovey's house, who was that was in Gadsden, Alabama, right? Gadsden, Alabama. Dovey was completely bedridden at this point, but despite Nanny taking care of her, she just seemed to really go downhill very quickly. Mm. And she died in June of 1952. <laughs> I know in the beginning you said she confessed to eight. I feel like we're well beyond eight. That's why I said the number's unclear, but people just kind of keep dying. It's just, she's got that death mm -hmm. touch, I guess. Mm. In the same year of 1952, she met and married her fourth husband through a dating service called Diamond Circle Club. His name was Richard Morton, and he was a retired salesperson from Kansas. He was half, he was described as being half American Indian and he was just tall, dark, and handsome with these piercing eyes. Hmm. And he just charmed the heck out of her. He, she thought he was just so handsome. He was smitten with Nanny and wrote to the Diamond Circle Club to delete both of their names from the availability list. And wrote thanking them for introducing him to the sweetest and most wonderful woman I've ever met. Oh, joke's on him. Sorry, Richard. So they married in October... And moved into his home, which was in Emporia, Kansas. He bought her everything she could ever want in the beginning. And after a few months, Nanny realized he was kind of full of it. And he was actually broke. Oh. And he had debt with everybody. And on top of that, he had another girl in town that he was seeing. Oh. Richard. Richard. So when Nanny found out about this girl, she did a little investigating and found out that he knew this girl long before their marriage and he had no intention of leaving her oh so nanny was distracted from him 
for a couple reasons. One, she kept putting ads in the Lonely Heart columns again and talking to men. Okay. Getting her, you know, her next steps lined up. Yeah. Two, her father died, and her mother announced that she was going to be moving in with Nanny and Richard. So she couldn't really tackle that affair just yet. She mm. had other things she had to deal with. She got a lot on her plate right now. She got a lot on her plate. So within days of her mom, Lou, moving in, she began to experience excruciating stomach pains. Oh, jeez. And died. So once Nanny was no longer distracted by taking care of her family, she could move on to her cheating husband. Three months later, Richard unknowingly drank his coffee one morning that had been laced with rat poison. I mean, he knowingly drank his coffee, but he didn't know it had rat poison in it. He did not know that it had rat poison in it. Dang. She's just out here nine to five in people. Nine to five. Mm-hmm. Have mm. you seen that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> After this, Nanny met her fifth husband, Samuel Doss, from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he was one of the pen pals that she had been in the works with during her marriage. And they were married in June of 1953. So Sam was completely different from all the other men. He was 59, healthy, sturdy. He looked much younger because he did not live a rough life at all. Okay. He was a God-fearing man. He didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't cuss. He was well-dressed and clean-cut. This is a big 180 from what she's used to. Yes. All he knew of Nanny was that she was a widow. She could cook, clean. She smiled, and she seemed kind. Which, to him, he just wanted, like, a companion Mm -hmm. that prioritized the home and just lived a very simple life. And that's what he wanted. Well... Yep. (laughs) So Sam worked a steady job. He was soft-spoken. He helped around the house. He helped cook. He wasn't abusive, and he wasn't threatening in any kind of way. (laughs) He treated Nanny better than she had ever been in her entire life. But he was also very conservative, very uptight, very set in his ways. And quite frankly, Nanny was bored. I could see that. He did not allow Nanny to read her romance novels. Um, rude. Which did not sit well with her. He saw them as a waste of time and sinful. He also said that TV was only meant for educational purposes. So, she could no longer watch any of the romance shows that she liked either. She specifically brought that TV with her. Say, she packed that TV. She wants it. <laughs> That's hers. Yep. Uh. According to Nanny, Sam told her, quote, I've been a Christian man my whole life, and you're going to be a Christian woman. You don't need a radio or a television. Is that how that works? To him. Wild. I was raised in a Christian home, and we both had radios and televisions. (laughs) That was not a problem. Just saying. I was not raised in a Christian (laughs) home. (laughs) He believed you could not have radio or television. Sinful. Sinful. Mm. So bedtime was at 9.30 every night. And you're going to love this. Am I? Mm. Sex was pre-scheduled. Ew. (laughs) Sam was also cheap. He would not allow the electric fan to run unless it was just like unbearably hot and you didn't have a choice. Lights were only allowed while in the room. But if you were reading and you had to use light you had to use a reading lamp and nothing else isn't that bad for your eyes 
I'm pretty sure but, it is. But the money. But the money. I guess. The electric so. bills. The electric bills. <laughs> Furniture was also very expensive. So he had a very strict rule that everything was very well taken care of. And you had to use doilies for coasters. So she could not be putting her drinks down all willy-nilly. I mean, I use coasters, too. But I think he was, like, it was just, like, a long list of things. Mm. And I think he was kind of particular. Got it. In a not very charming way. So, yeah, he treated her well, but she was also bored, and she hated being controlled. Nanny actually left him for a short time because he was just being too much for her and she needed a break. Mm -hmm. But Sam begged her to come back. He said he would he would not be so tight with money and he would just lay off a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he even took out two life insurance policies with Nanny as the beneficiary to like lure her back in. Oh, I mean that's the way to lure her back in. I guess maybe that had been a conversation that they had had. Like mm-hmm. maybe he knew that would sweet talk her. So Nanny came home and not long after, she surprised him with dinner with a homemade prune cake. Ugh. Not long after that, he started having excruciating stomach pains. He was hospitalized for about a month. He lost 16 pounds and was treated for a severe digestive tract infection. He recovered and he went home to nanny. For his homecoming, celebrating all that jazz, nanny made him some good food and a coffee laced with arsenic. It didn't, it didn't work the first time. Gotta try again. And within hours, he was dead. The doctor who had treated Samuel, like I mentioned in the beginning, knew something was not right. He had an autopsy performed, and they found enough arsenic that would have killed 20 men. It's a lot of arsenic. Mm-hmm. So, when Nanny could not explain where the arsenic came from, and once police had enough evidence, she was arrested on suspicion of murder. On November 26, 1954, she was brought in for interrogation, and the officers found her behavior strange. Because she wasn't the sad widow, like I mentioned before. But at the same time, she wasn't really acting like this cold-hearted killer and just, like, not talking. I mean, this isn't her first rodeo. She, She was just being weird. Nanny was flirting with the officers, giggling. She was acting like the young schoolgirl, to be honest. And even stranger, she was allowed to have romance magazines during her interrogation. Oh. And she was reading it for most of the interrogation and blowing them off so she could read. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. She was accused of killing her husband, to which she said, I've never poisoned anyone. My conscience is clear. I married these men because I love them. She stuck to the story that she loved her husband's and had nothing to do with it. Police only respected her of Sam's death and maybe one other husband, but I couldn't figure out which husband they thought. Mm. But once start once the word started spreading about her being in custody, the police station started getting bombarded with tips coming in. Oh my goodness. Police were hearing stories about all of her dead husbands and the mysterious and untimely deaths of her two children, her mother, her sister, and just everyone else that she crossed paths with. Once more and more evidence started to pour in, they brought her back in for questioning. This time, interrogation was seven hours. At the beginning of the investiga- or the interrogation, she was reading her romance magazine called Romantic Hearts. Oh. 
and she was so distracted that they had to take her magazine away from her. That's probably what they should have done the first time. You would think. And I guess she just started getting real pissy. <laughs> so at, between her magazine being taken away and everything, she finally confessed to the murder of her last husband. When asked why, <laughs> you'll love this, when asked why, she said it was because he would not let her watch her favorite TV show or turn on the fan during those hot summer nights. Mm. <laughs> you know what? I can get behind that. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. We need a fan, okay? Throughout all of her confessions, Nanny always maintained that money was never the motive, even though she got multiple life insurance policies over the years. She said she was bored at her marriages and that she had dreamed of this perfect, ideal husband, the one that she would read about. She told the interrogators, That's about it. I was searching for the perfect mate, the real romance of my life. So Nanny ended up confessing to eight murders in total. Four were the husbands, Richard, Robert, Arlie, and Frank. Oh, she did end up confessing to Lou, her mother. Uh, her sister, Dovey, Arlie's mother, which was mm -hmm. her mother-in-law, and her grandson, Robert. Mm. Even though she confessed to eight, authorities believe that she could have been responsible for about 12. Many believe that she killed her two daughters, her grandbaby, and Arlie's nephew, who had been staying with her. And the eight bodies that she confessed to were exhumed for autopsy. The state of Oklahoma only focused on the murder of Samuel Doss, because that was the only one that happened in that state. Mm -hmm. She pled guilty on May 17, 1955, and she was sentenced to life in prison. She was spared the death penalty only because she was a woman. Oh. Basically, that, like, women didn't get put to death, basically. And Nanny was never charged with the other murders. Nanny only served 10 years of her sentence, and on June 10th, sorry, June 2nd, 1965, she died in Oklahoma State Penitentiary from leukemia at 59 years old. Oh. And she's buried at Oak Hill Memorial Park in McAllister? Is it like McAllister? McAllister. Oklahoma. She's buried in Oklahoma. She's somewhere in Oklahoma, y'all. Yep. Side note, I found a recipe from hers that's an apple prune cake. I don't want to make it. I feel like it's going to be good. How much arsenic is in it? There's no arsenic. Well, optional. It's like that when you read it's a like recipe a and it's like optional. <laughs> Got it. She was able to get all these men. I know she was a good cook. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. But that was Nanny Doss. She was a wild ride from start to finish. She was. There was just nobody safe from her. No one. Literally. No one. Her mom was her bestie and she killed her mom. I don't really know why either. She just did. It's sad. Nanny. Well, that was this week's episode. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>